Now I would like to invite our founder and honorable finance minister Dr. PTR Tyagarajan to deliver his special address. Sir, the floor is yours. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pugal and Darani, uh, for organizing this. Also, the team at DPF. I apologize. I have a bit of a bad throat, so I probably would not speak for very long. Uh, but I very much welcome the opportunity to speak and to at least listen for a while uh, before I drop off. But, um, you know, on a topic like this, it's very hard for me to get started because there's so much to say and I uh, struggle where to begin. As with most things, I speak straight from my heart or my head, so I don't make many notes. And so, you know, I've been trying to frame this uh, in, in the right context. So maybe I can start with a bit of a disclaimer, the sense that, you know, each of us saw a different facet of what was otherwise a towering personality that had a huge impact on, and on many of our lives. In fact, on the lives of, you know, now close to eight crore Tamils and many who went before them. So at some sense, uh, you know, you look at something this large from different perspectives, you see different views. Uh, some things are common, some things are unique. As far as I'm concerned, um, I have a picture of me, I don't know, six or five or seven years old in a suit sitting between him and uh, Nawlar Medanjali in the same sofa, in the same living room of the same house that uh, we still live in in Madurai uh, when he was then chief minister and Nawlar was finance minister or no, some education minister, something senior minister. Right after um, Anna passed away, and Kalinga took over, or maybe just after the 71 election. So my association goes back that far, and clearly, you know, in that sense, he was a towering figure. I had occasion to meet him many times in my life. I was a very young boy. I didn't understand politics. I didn't understand a lot of things. So I, I probably did not have any deep personal interactions with him till uh, 2006. So that is to say, till I was 50 years old, or no, 40 years old. And then the association started because, in some sense, the passing of my father really um, opened up a kind of direct communication, uh, which I had not had either the need or the luxury till then. And, uh, and I remember almost every time I spent time with him. Um, and even towards the end, um, there were very few people that uh, when he was somewhat incapacitated and he had limited uh, physical mobility. There are very few people he continuously either asked or, or liked to see. And, uh, you know, by some uh, affection, I was one of them. So I used to go and see him quite a bit and talk to him and listen to him. And most days he was very lucid, even, even at that age, even with those limitations. And so maybe I just talk a little bit about two aspects. One, my understanding of how when the Dravidian kind of movement came back to power, in 67, after 30 years away, and the very untimely and sudden passing of Anna, how Kalingir stepped up to the plate, and how those early years in many ways framed him and framed his approach to governance, administration, and connectivity with the people. Because I don't think it was automatic that he was going to be the chief minister. In fact, I don't think anybody expected that Kalingir Anna would pass that quickly. So. Those early years in the cauldron, I think, really shaped him, and I have some promise to say about that. And then I want to talk about him as a, as a human being, and he had some extraordinary strengths, 
and, and a particular kind of uh, um, nature of personal interactions. Um, that was quite unique. So, you know, I know there are many learned scholars here. Uh, you know, Mr. Panis Alon has written a book. So I don't want to, um, you know, uh, try to attempt an amateurish view when others can give an in-depth perspective. So if you take the first one, really, you know, the, the, the DMK government of 1967 was in many ways a kind of accidental government. I don't think anybody expected in the history of politics in independent India that a party less than 20 years after being formed uh, would come to power with such a sweeping majority. And with therefore people who had almost zero experience of ever having been administrators of anything. And even then, relatively speaking, this was a fairly large state with a fairly you know, sizable population and economy. So I'm sure many of us have heard the anecdote where the Congress in disgust accused the government of being a third-rate government and much in the footsteps of Perengirana uh, rather than accept or uh, refute it, uh, calling it twisted it and said, no, no, it's not a third-rate government, it's a fourth-rate government because we're all shudras, you see, we're the fourth level of the hierarchy. And, um, you know, this was very much in the ways of Anna, which again, you see, the, the Congress had never envisioned the day that they would lose power. So you may recall the time when they told Anna, your days are numbered. They didn't know that he was physically, you know, ill. They meant your days are numbered, meaning you cannot sustain a government. You don't have administrative experience. You don't know how to run a state. And his response was, because my days are numbered, my steps are measured. So I think in that tradition, they came. And they really struggled between us. If we really look back, they struggled to learn the ropes of administration um, so quickly. But I think it shaped him in many ways, because one of the remarkable things about Kalangir as an administrator, as a chief minister, um, was his capacity to take inputs from hundreds of sources, literally like on a major issue. He would consult all kinds of people that we didn't even know who all he was calling. He would call and ask somebody at the Patasailala level, he'll call some Grama Mila, some, uh, you know, Pachayatta um, level, what do you think? He'll call the IS officers. And he had an extraordinary ability, which I think most of you uh, may have seen at some point. He could sit for an hour without opening his mouth. He could sit and listen to as many people as needed to talk. Of course, there were days when he was impatient. If you tried to tell him crazy things, he'd get angry and shout at you. But as long as there was value being um, you know, added to the meeting, he could sit and patiently listen to everybody. And many things he was not actually that deeply technically educated in, as we know. But he had the extraordinary ability, the combination of acute listening and judging the personality and capability of people, he'd figure out over time who to take at what value, who was more likely to be right, who had a greater insight on what subject. And so, you know, he had uh, two things that he developed very early. This democratic approach, it's in, in inherently a democratic approach. It says, let a thousand voices be heard. Whatever emerges is likely to be the best outcome. So he had this democratic approach that he developed by necessity. And he had a way with people that helped him figure out uh, who should be listened to at what level. I have never met an IS officer or an IPS officer who worked closely with him of all communities, of all political persuasions, who has one bad thing to say about working with him. Once they worked together with him, uh, then, you know, basically 
he allowed them the leeway and he gave them the due respect for their professionalism, for their capability. I mean, if he found the wrong people, he would change them. But otherwise, he gave them a lot of uh, support. I remember my mama, P. Um, Sabanagam, who was chief secretary, retired the other day, he was telling me that when uh, he went to Taleo's house as chief secretary, he was with trepidation to see how the relationship would work. But they had a wonderful relationship. And on the day of his retirement, Kalinga said, Sabana, you need to go to the sailor, Nambaraha, He knew how to build those kinds of relationships and, and uh, you know, build the loyalty that comes out of vesting that kind of trust and faith. I think also he went back to the core principles every single time. You know, Kohal talked about the right to um, women, um, the right, women's right to inheritance. If you go and read the assembly speech, he said in 1929 at the Chengalpur Justice Party conference, PTR, You know, every time he passed a legislation, he tied it back to what were the root values and the principles of the Justice Party of the Dravidian movement and how he was an extension and continuing to do the duty of, you know, the chief minister who was nurtured and schooled by that movement. And there are many, many examples. But again, I'll pick up on a point Paul made. I think when the Justice Party was set and when the original governments were set, the list of kind of excluded people was not that wide. You know, we were basically dealing with the hierarchy of the caste first. And every time Kalinga came to power, he had another dimension to add about uh, Mata Tirunali or about Tirunangai or about, uh, you know, the people standing outside of other people's house and watching the TV. Therefore, they should have self-respect and get a TV. Of the housewives cooking with the wood stoves and taking too much time and having health hazards. Therefore, you should give them gas connections. So, you know, as somebody who came from very modest beginnings, he never lost touch with his roots. He lived relatively simply all his life. Most of you know, I don't think he changed his house or he changed his bed or he changed his seat or his way of life, actually. Um, you know, towards the end, he needed a little bit of extra support because of the wheelchair and the special car and all of it. Otherwise, he was not affected by these kinds of things. So, you know, his work ethic was legendary. And based on that combination of profound values and belief and extraordinary work ethic, and uh, an unique and unparalleled ability to connect with human beings, then it's really fair for us to say that over the many, many years that he was chief minister, uh, that he really shaped the modern Tamil Nadu. Because, you know, while the ideas came from Periyar and while the notion of converting those ideas into a political movement and creating a hierarchy and a structure and a system came from Periyarana, uh, in the end, execution is everything. You know, every day I speak, I talk about many of us having differences of ideology, difference of philosophy. Yes, it matters. But it only matters to the extent that you can actually execute an outcome and improve the lives of people. Otherwise, it's just your theory and my theory are just both, you know, empty vessels, so to speak, or, or your philosophy and mine. So in that sense, I would say he had an um, uncanny kind of... Uh, ability to pick the right path at the right time. And he could sense the people's mind, at least in the, you know, in the 
all but the last few years of his career. He had an extraordinary connection with people. He had an enormous information network. He would listen to everybody and anybody. And he knew, you know, sooner or later, who were the fools and who were the wise men. And especially after he started wearing his glasses, where you couldn't see uh, what the expression on his eyes were. He had this phenomenal kind of poker face where he, you couldn't tell when you're talking to him whether he agreed with what he says. It's a very, very, very uncommon trait. Most of us don't have that. I'm the extreme opposite of that. You can tell in my face if I agree with or disagree with or I'm, you know, irritated by what I'm hearing. And Kalingar had the exact opposite. He could uh, listen equally to the most, you know, pure wisdom and unadulterated nonsense. And he, you wouldn't see any change in his expression. And there's an there's a, um, old comparison I make that they, they talk about uh, the perfection of meetings with Oppenheimer, the leader of the Manhattan Project, when they were working on the bomb, and how those meetings were the best, most efficient meetings ever heard. Because Oppenheimer would simply sit and let everybody speak. And nobody would have to argue twice, and nobody had to repeat their point. And at the end of six or eight people speaking, Oppenheimer would say, well, I think it's pretty clear now. This is the way to go. The odds are this is going to work. And that was it. So you just take everything, collate it, put it together, come out with the right thing and go out. And I'm reminded of that whenever I think about Kalingar and his ability to frame policy on that. Let me switch a little bit to his uh, personal interactions. In every way, he was always a man who placed uh, affection and uh, the human touch above other things. He was quick to anger. He was even quicker to forgive. Uh, people made a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad outcomes. He would shout at them. He would kind of castigate them. And then very quickly, you know, he would just overcome that and he would forgive very easily. So I think for him personally, as he told me multiple occasions when my father passed away, when I didn't take the seat, then when I came back, it was very clear to him. He said, you know, posts come and go. Someday you'll be minister. Someday you won't be. Someday you'll be MLA. Someday you won't be. But what you have to commit to me is that you'll always be affectionate to me. You'll always be close to me. And that mattered to him a lot. And I think the older he got, uh, that mattered even more. And unfortunately, that circle of people that would, uh, you know, really uh, penetrate into his, um, you know, affection and, and understanding, especially towards the end, was a limited circle. But you could see the, the joy in his eyes and you could see them light up. And he genuinely was that kind of people person. You know, he, he was that vested in human relationships. And there are extraordinary number of individuals whose entire careers in politics, in industry, in academia, in the judiciary, whose entire careers, even some of them brilliant careers, have been built solely on the fact that Kalangir decided to invest in them or decided to promote them or decided to give them an opportunity. The list is endless. Because one of them is me in the sense that uh, after having declined many, many opportunities to come back, when I went in 2016 without batting an eyelid, uh, he offered me the seat. And uh, every time I went to see him, I felt that warmth, I felt the affection. And, uh, and of course, I miss it a lot. But, you know, administrators, there are many good administrators. Um, people who can translate policy to outcomes, not so many, many, many fewer than that. People who can translate policy to outcomes and affect the lives of so many people, even fewer than that. People who can do all that and stand as a shining example in a country of, you know, 1.4 billion people 
It's hard for me to think of any other person. And then above all that, imagine what uh, the, the warmth of his friendship and relationship should have been. If I say that beyond all that, what stays with me is the personal interactions and the way he treated you and, uh, you know, the jokes he cracked and the kind of questions he asked. So um, it's a bit of an emotional uh, day for me, uh, partly because that, partly because my voice is so poor. Um, I won't go much deeper into the into the administration, the technical stuff. There are many wiser people than me here who can comment on that. But let me uh, thank you for the uh, chance to be here. Uh, I really am uh, happy to participate. I think this is a very important event. If nothing else, for those of us here to have this opportunity to reminisce and uh, pay our respects and honor the memory of uh, certainly uh, indubitably the architect of modern family. Thank you.